You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, let me introduce this to you with, uh, with this analogy. Every year, several men in this building participate in what we call a men's basketball league at the community center. Uh, we do it as a fundraiser, but it's, it, it, quickly, it quickly forgets that purpose because when you get a bunch of guys uh, on a court together, and yeah, they're past their prime. I mean, I would say most of the guys out there are past their prime, and most of them are paying for it the next morning, right? I just know that when I've done it and, and woken up the next morning and, and, and moaned and groaned to my wife, I get little sympathy for putting myself through that agony, running up and down the court. But I tell you one thing and one reason why these men will come out in droves and participate in this men's league uh, is because of the spirit of competition. They love to compete. They love to be in battle. They just seem to never lose that desire. And I want to say this about that as we think about our title for this sermon series. is a lot more important than the game of basketball or softball or football or whatever it else, whatever else it is that you enjoy playing in this season of your life is the battle of life that all of us are in. And we have an enemy. And this sermon series is going to attempt to open our eyes to spiritual warfare and the reality of our enemy, Satan. Thus, the sermon title, or the sermon series title, Fighting to Win. Learning the truth about our enemy. How important is this? How important is it? Well, I think the sad fact is many Christians are oblivious to the, to, the, to the spiritual warfare that is going on all around us. We're just not, not tuned into it. We seem to fight these battles in the flesh. We seem to live our Christian lives as if potentially the Word of God is not accurate and maybe we don't win and could it possibly be that all of this is not going to work out? I want to argue that fact this morning. I want to remind you that there is an enemy and we need to understand our enemy. And as we understand our enemy, we'll also understand the victory that we have. And we can live with that confidence of knowing that we are fighting not to lose, but we're fighting to win. We're in it to win it. And I want to share some things with you about that. I want to lay a foundation, a spiritual foundation for victory. I want to be very clear about that. Because the purpose of this series is to do just that. To understand the victory we have in Christ. That we're laying a foundation for winning as we fight our battles. In fact, at our invitation, we're going to focus on this song. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Let's understand who we're surrounded by. And there are spiritual wickednesses uh, in high places, and this is a spiritual battle, and there is spiritual warfare even going on as we speak this morning, but there is a victory involved in that. So I'm going to give you 10 things this morning that you should know about Satan. Satan is the enemy, and you and I should know about him. We should know what he is doing and how he is doing it. And these are truths, truths from God's Word that you should have on the tip of your tongue. Study these things. Know these things. Keep these notes handy. 
In fact, in the foundational message, we're going to use a lot of Scripture. And I hope that's okay to use a lot of Scripture. In fact, one of the things about the screen that I, I don't like is I don't get to hear one of my favorite sounds in all the world, and that is the turning of the pages of the Bible. I like the screen, and we're going to use it. You won't have to turn to all these places. I do encourage you to write down the notes in the margin of your Bible in the notes section. Write down these passages. But we should never be afraid to turn in our Bibles because that's where the real power is. That's where the truth is. That's where the victory is in God's Word. And so let's begin today with this very first thought, number one. And before we give that thought, I want to shoot a scripture out on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Introduce the message. Introduce the first thing we should know about Satan with the passage. And that is this. That we should be sober-minded. We should be watchful. Because we have an adversary. His name is the devil along many other names, and we'll discuss in a moment. And this devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking. Deliberately seeking whom you may devour. Number one thing we should know about Satan is he is real and he is powerful. He is real and he is powerful. C.S. Lewis said it like this. There are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into regarding Satan and his demons. One is to act like they don't exist. But the other is to be unduly and overly interested in them. Both are equally, uh, rather, uh, and they are equally pleased by both errors. In other words, we can tend to just ignore the fact that Satan is real and just kind of act like he doesn't exist. Or we can actually put more emphasis on it than we should. And the purpose of this sermon series, we're going to attempt to avoid both of those pitfalls. And yet, not attempt this morning to make sure that everyone here understands that he is real. And he is powerful. How about a quick survey of the New Testament names for Satan? All of us, all of these names revealed some, uh, reveal something about Satan's character, beginning with just Satan himself. That name, Satan, means adversary. It's used over 36 times in the New Testament. And then the word devil, it's used 35 times. That word devil means slanderer. And then the evil one, used 10 times in the New Testament. The tempter, Beelzebub, it means... The Lord of the flies. He's just filthy. He's got a filthy mouth. He's got filthy deeds and thoughts. And he's just filthy. And then the ruler of this world. The prince of the power of the air. The accuser of the brethren. The father of all lies. The serpent. And the dragon. 250 times in the New Testament alone. Almost once per chapter. Satan is referred to. Thus God is saying this to all of us this morning. Watch out for this. Here is what he is doing. Here is how he is doing it. And get access. Uh, Here is how he is trying to get access into our lives. Satan is real. But not only is he real. 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, that says to be sober-minded and to be watchful because he's a lion. He is roaring a lion, seeking whom he may devour. That simply states, in essence, that not only is he real, but he's powerful. He is powerful. He's a lion. Why does it give this picture of a lion? Well, first of all, the lion was the most feared predator in the ancient world. And it was the one most likely to catch its prey. Thus, Scripture refers to Satan as being a roaring lion. He is not 
sleeping this morning. He is very angry. He's walking about. He's seeking. He he is very deliberate. He's seeking whom he may devour. You see, Satan doesn't just want to hinder you or harm you slightly. He wants to ravenously consume your victory, your faith, your marriage, and your family. And even this week, I have I have received the phone calls this week, and it doesn't surprise me on the heels of a message in a series like this that, that I would be made even more aware or be more cognizant because of the fact that I'm speaking on this subject of what Satan is doing to families, to preachers' families, to homes, to churches. He is real. He is powerful. Secondly, he is a fallen angel. You see, the biblical evidence for the origin of Satan begins in Genesis. It's not, it's kind of thin as far as the information that's given, but yet it's, it's very evident and obvious that there is a story here. The story begins with God who created a countless number of angels, a numberless number of angels, more than the human race. And Satan was one of those angels. He was originally called Lucifer. And along with Michael, he was one of the archangels who ruled over the heavens and was directly under God. Sometime after Adam and Eve were created and actually before Genesis 3, which uh, gives us the account of the fall of man, sometime in between there, and we don't know the amount of time, that's maybe not as important as it is just to know that there was a rebellion in heaven. And Satan became filled with pride. And he tried to overthrow God himself. And at that very point, he was cast out of heaven along with one third of all the angels who became demons. And now Satan and his angels rule this world along the parameters that God has given them. That's kind of a nutshell. That's really kind of what we know. What we can derive from Scripture. Old Testament passage supported by New Testament passages, Isaiah chapter 14. And on the screen, and I want you to note these in your Bible, in your notes, but Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, Scripture speaks of this one called Lucifer. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I'll set my throne on high. I'll sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. Here it is. I will make myself just like the Most High. But you're brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. It's a powerful passage indicating much of what we just described and what we know of Satan. And yet we can go to the New Testament and see much of this laid out. And oftentimes it's encouraging when Scripture supports Scripture, especially when New Testament Scripture can support an Old Testament passage. And so we go to three Scriptures this morning. There's more than this, but we're just going to look at three. Quickly, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed then the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept into the judgment. In Jude, in verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Speaking of Lucifer and that one-third of the angels that were cast out of heaven, rising in rebellion against God himself. In Revelation 12, 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them 
to the earth. He is a fallen angel. But not only is he a fallen angel, he's real, he's powerful. But thirdly, I want you to see this passage, first of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. It tells us something else we need to know about Satan. Very important. If we're going to know our enemy, we need to know this. And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Number three, Satan, according to the word of God, is real, is powerful. He's a fallen angel, but he's also an angel of light. You know, sometimes I feel as if we have fallen for the deception of Satan himself when we think that he is in a red suit with a pitchfork like a cartoon character. And I want you to know he's the exact opposite of that. Satan disguises himself. We won't recognize him. Yes, he's darkness, but he doesn't come as darkness. He disguises himself as an angel of light. It makes him appear the opposite of what he really is. Therefore, when I least expect it, Satan may be working on me. So I must test everything by the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to to read our Bibles and and to memorize Scripture. We're going to see more and more of that as we go through this series, the importance of knowing the Word of God and claiming the Word of God and knowing what the Bible says about this spiritual warfare, that we already have the victory, and God's Word has clearly stated that. So why aren't we living in that victory? Well, we're going to learn how to do that this, this, this series. He disguises himself. Can I give you some examples of how he disguises himself in Scripture? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13, for such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. You see, not everyone who speaks for Christ is really a Christian. Everyone who says he speaks for Christ doesn't. Everyone who says he stands for Christ doesn't. We need to test their message against the truth of God's word. And in this day and age, I'm so concerned for God's people as we live in this day and age of the Internet and and of all these false teachers and false prophets who who are in it for, for monetary gain and other reasons. And yet, if we're not careful, we won't test their message with the truth of God's word. By the way, I would encourage all of you to do the same with me. Don't let it be said of you that when someone asks you why you believe what you believe, that your answer is, well, the preacher said it. For many years, that was an answer that maybe I would have given at times in my life. Sad to say, I confess to you that I've been at fault for falling upon believing something based on what somebody said, but not testing it with the word of God. And so even as a church member, I encourage you to test, test the spirits, test the word. With God's word himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 15 it says, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Another example of this is he plants tares among the wheat. He plants weeds among the wheat. Scripture teaches this in Matthew chapter number 13 verse 38 where it says, The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. But the weeds are the sons of the evil one. We're getting to know our enemy. And the enemy, the Bible says, sold them is the devil himself. So as we get to know our enemy, we need to understand that amongst the wheat, and who's the wheat? Christians. 
Those of us today who are true followers of Jesus Christ, unashamedly followers of Christ, are the wheat. But there are amongst the wheat tares, weeds. Satan disguises himself. And we need to understand that we need to test him by the word of God and the truth of God's word. Number four, he hates Jesus Christ. And that may be putting it lightly, church. He despises Christ. What we need to ultimately understand is this. We are not the issue. We are not the issue. We are only pawns in Satan's worldly chess game. And we are the ones he is, and the one he is really after is not us, but the king. The king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ, is who he hates. That's who he despises. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, we're going to begin reading a few passages here. And again, the word of God is... It's so important. They're laying a foundation for something as serious as a study on getting to know who our enemy is. In Revelation 12, verse 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. See here Satan's hatred towards Jesus. Here she was pregnant. And she was crying out in birth pains in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, Satan himself, seven heads, ten horns, and on his head, seven diadems. Here he is challenging the authority that only belongs to God, wearing all of this. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. Pay attention. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Speaking of Satan, who placed the thoughts that into Herod's mind to kill the Christ child, Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. And yet Herod intended to kill him. Satan was behind all of that. Satan hates our Savior. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he, he, he can't get to Christ directly. So the only way to injure Christ is to get to those Christ loves. And that's you and that's me. And that's the strategy of Satan. He's not so much interested in those that don't know the Lord, but he's interested in followers of Jesus Christ to defeat them, to discourage them, and, and, to, and to injure the Savior by injuring them. So there's a battle going on. Satan hates Jesus Christ. He despises our King, our Lord. And I want my life to live in victory. So I want you to know, church, as I begin this sermon series, I'm in it to win it. I'm fighting to win. I'm serious about this battle. And I want to inject you with as much truth and scripture as I can so that we can all live in victory. Number five. Fifthly, we understand this about Satan. He, he is the accuser of God's people. Look with me, if you would, in the screen at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10. The Bible says the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. His angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. He's the accuser of the brethren. But you know what we can do today, church? You know what we can rejoice in? Thank God he is unable to make any of those charges stick 
because of what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary. See, this is what we need to understand. When we begin to understand this, it changes how we think and how we live and how we claim the victory. I can imagine a conversation going on before the throne, kind of like it did with Job. I can imagine Satan coming to the throne of, of God and approaching God and saying, have you not seen your servant, Carol Ann? Have you not seen her down there? She's not as great as you might think she is. I've been roaring about. I've been prowling about. I've seen she's not perfect. She's made mistakes and she's not all that. She begins to accuse Carol Ann before the throne of God. Jesus Christ responds to that. He responds to that. And if I could respond to that with the words of Scripture, Romans chapter 8 might be his response. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. And all these things, here it is, church. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation is is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a huge amen. That's fighting to win. That's understanding Jesus has our back. He's got our back, church. That's why we can fight to win. That's why we can win in the battle against the enemy. Because of Jesus. And what he's done for us, he's interceding for us. Man, one of the greatest passages, I think, on this is Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 17. It says, no weapon that is formed against thee shall succeed. How do you like that? How would you like to go to battle against an enemy and already know you've won? You're a success. You've prospered. There's no way the enemy can defeat you in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. What a great promise from God's word. We need to claim that promise. Here's the idea. We need to be confident of who we are in Jesus Christ. We need to be confident. There's something about that in our worship segment this morning that, you know, I am who you say I am, you know. The idea that we can trust him always, always. He's always there. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. You say, yeah, but I I know that. I mean, I've heard those things before. The, The issue is that we don't truly believe those things sometimes. We live as if those things aren't true. We live as if we live as if those things are not really don't really apply to our situation. Oh, listen, church, these are promises we can claim every day of our lives as we understand our enemy, who's the accuser of God's people. Then number six. I want you to understand something else about Satan, very important. And that is that he is working very hard. He is a hard worker. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, Scripture says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for their their lives, even unto the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that he has just a short time. You know, church, if you knew that your time was short and you hated Jesus Christ, I mean, how hard would you be working? He's working very hard. He's waiting for that opportunity, waiting for you just to open the door, just to just to get relaxed with your life and, and just to kind of take life for granted. Just give Satan an inch and he's on it. He's prowling. He's there. He's ready. He's outside the doors of this church, ready to attack. He's hard at work. Satan is the source of all sadness. He's the source of all sin. In fact, he's been sinning from the very beginning, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the what of the devil? The works of the devil. He's a hard worker. You've got to respect him for that. I mean, he doesn't let up. He doesn't give up. I mean, I've been married for 31 years. And there's not a week that goes by that he doesn't attack my marriage. I've been raising children for 29 years. There hasn't been a week, maybe even a day go by that he hasn't attacked my children. My home, my marriage, our church. He's serious. He's a hard worker. He's, he's, he's very hardworking. In fact, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 15, it puts it like this. We're getting to know our enemy, church. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. That when they hear. Time out. Let's, let's, let's get this straight right now. Can anybody answer this question, even if it's in your heart? What am I doing right now? Anybody know? I'm sowing what? Sowing seed. That's what a sermon is. A sermon every Sunday morning is a seed sowing time. So for about 25, 30 minutes and for about another 15 minutes, I'm going to sow some seed. I'm up here just giving you the word. In fact, this morning, have I not sowed a lot of seed? We got another 25 verses to read. It's the word, man. It's powerful. It's sharp. It's quick. Man, it'll change your life. The more you memorize it, the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you listen to it, the more you hear it taught and preached. So I'm sowing seed. I'm hard at work this morning. Man, I've prayed about this message. I've been on my face before God, literally, no exaggeration, for months about this series. I've never done this before. It's intimidating, honestly, to to, to think that I'm going to tackle the subject of spiritual warfare and Satan himself for the next five weeks I think that opens even my family up to attack. It's a serious business. Spiritual wickedness in high places. This is a spiritual battle, and I'm sure Satan's not so happy about this. And so I've been praying about this and preparing, and man, you could ask Carrie. This sermon went through about 15 filters. (laughs) I kept giving it to her and give it back and change this and work on this and Add this and take this out. I mean, I'm just working so hard to make sure this is presented in such a very real, powerful, preparatory way for the rest of the messages that I've been very intense about this message. So I'm sowing seed, church. But look what the scripture says. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. 
Why do you think when you get in your car, it's not sometimes 10 or 15 minutes, you're not fighting with your, your spouse or yelling at your kids or complaining that the food's not hot enough or yelling at the waitress because she didn't. Why do you think it is that so quickly we can get the word that was given to us to change us, to mold us into the image of Christ? How does it seem so quickly that we can lose our grasp on it? And Because Satan is a roaring lion. He's ready. He hates what I'm doing right now. And he knows the quicker he can get the seed stolen and off your hearts and off the table and out of your conversation, the less likely you are to live it. Does this make sense? He's hard at work. He's serious about this thing. He's working very hard as I sowed the seed this morning. Satan is working hard at blinding people to the gospel. Think about that. Can you imagine this morning if I were to walk up to a blind man, slap him in the face and say, why can't you see this? <laughs> You'd be like, that's kind of cruel. The guy, he's blind. What do you mean, why can't he see it? I say all that to say this before I read this passage. May we have compassion to those who are blind to the gospel and to the things of the word of God. May we be a little bit more compassionate and and caring and patient with people who are blinded by Satan because their eyes have not been opened by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, in the case, in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinding those. He's, he's busy at work, blinding the eyes of those who cannot see the gospel, that they might not see the gospel. He's looking for opportunities to take advantage of us. Every opportunity to take advantage of us. We learn this in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 26 and 27. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity to the devil because that's exactly what he's looking for is an opportunity. Just give him one. Just give him an opportunity. Just please get on the internet and just browse through a little pornography. That's all he needs. Just give him that moment. He'll, he'll be sure to, to take you down to the path of adultery before you know it. It's where he's at. He's just looking for a way that you can just, you know, have a little idle time. It's a devil's workshop, you know. Just take a day off. Just take a Sunday off. Just, just, just take a Bible study off. Just, just lay your Bible down for a few weeks. Take a break from this thing. Just give him an opportunity. That's all he's asking for is just one opportunity. Scripture says give no opportunity to the devil because he's looking for a way to take advantage of anything you give him. He's looking for a foothold. And you know where he usually gets a foothold in our lives? Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. We just let it go and let it go a little bit more. And instead of humbling ourselves, confessing our sins before the Father, who's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and give us a new start. He causes physical handicaps and hardships. He's hard at work. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says it like this, that Jesus, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, speaking of... Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to sift us as wheat. 
That process is interesting. Take some time just to study that process of sifting. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Shake us and, and mess our lives up. Sift us as wheat. He created hardship for Paul when Paul wanted to get the gospel out. He created problems for him to do that. Just as, it, as he's going to create problems for me to get the gospel out over the next few weeks. I have no question in my mind. He's got a plan to create some kind of hardship over the next few weeks. In fact, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. He's working very hard. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, real quick, in verse 18. Because he wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to do it, but Satan hindered me. He's always trying to get in the way. Next, number seven. I want you to know this about the enemy. He is a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. In fact, in John 8, 44... You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. How do you like that? That's pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, I read that with a little intensity because it's, it's written with that same intensity. He is a liar and he lies to God's people. And if you want to know the place where the battle is fought in spiritual warfare, you can sum it up with one word, truth. Truth. And when you live according to the truth of God's word, you live in victory. But when you live according to the lies of the enemy, you live in defeat. That's why it really all comes back to the word. Understanding what God has said and claiming that victory. Jesus was in the wilderness. In fact, when we went to Israel, those of you that went to Israel with us, you remember when we went to that Mount of Temptation in that Judean desert, right? It was an amazing thing as they began to speak about this region would have been where the devil came to Jesus after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you remember that in Matthew chapter 4? And the devil comes to Jesus and begins to tempt him and It's a great moment to be in that region, in that area, and begin to read through that passage. And even as I studied this, I began to understand that Jesus in that wilderness was thrown by, uh, from Satan to, to himself, lie after lie after lie. Satan went after Jesus himself with lies. He lied over and over again. But how did Jesus get the, get, get, get the victory? Jesus, every time Satan lied, inserted what? Truth. He inserted the word. That's why we need to know this book. That's why we need to be able to give an answer. He is a liar. Number eight, he's a cunning tempter. He's a cunning tempter. Meaning this, I want you to follow along. We're coming to the close of the message, but I want you to follow along as I read some scripture to you now and just pay close attention on the screen. Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. This is the fall of mankind the entrance of sin into the world. That's the context. You ready? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? And by the way, let me just tell you, that's one of Satan's tactics. He'll always get you to question God's word. Does it really mean that? 
Is that really the interpretation of that? Is that did God really mean what God said? And the woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Which, by the way, he never said they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. So obviously she's already, not only is she questioning God's word, but now she's distorting the word because she doesn't really know it. Lest you die. But the serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, Adam, Eve, God knows that your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So now God's got to be worried about Adam and Eve taking over the world and becoming, really. It's kind of like being in Israel, guys. Remember if you were with us when we went to the Temple Mount and they were giving the little speech about the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate, and they were talking about how it was, you know, the Muslims had plugged it up and cemented it up and you couldn't open it anymore. They were saying they did that because they heard that's where the Messiah, when he comes back, he's coming through those gates, so they want to make sure he can't get through. And I'm sure God in heaven right now is just scratching his head, trying to figure out a way to get through those gates. And I'm sure in the garden, God was like, oh, no, I hope Adam and Eve don't take over the world. I don't think God was worried about that. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate. He's a cunning tempter. He's slick. He is slick. He'll, 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 he'll just be almost right, but all wrong. He, he'll, he'll change things around. He'll, he'll, he'll just grind away. He's a cunning tempter. Number nine, Satan has limitations. It's important for us to understand that Satan can't do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. There's limitations. Job chapter 1 speaks of that in the example here. And we're going to be at Job in some other places in the mess in the series. But look with me for just a moment in verse 6 on the screen. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And so the Lord says to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answers, well, by the way, Satan, God never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. But I like how God does this. Where have you come from, Satan? And Satan answers, from going to and fro on the earth. Remember? He's a roaring lion, right? He's prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. I've just been doing my deal, Lord. You know me. I'm working hard. I'm looking for the next one I can destroy. I'm walking down, up and down on the earth. And the Lord says to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God, turns away from evil. Satan answers the Lord and says, did Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands, the possessions have increased in the land. But you stretch out your hand and you touch God all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. So the Lord says to Satan, pay attention to what God says. Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. Speaking about not taking his life. In other words, placing a limitation on Satan. In other words, Satan could only do what God allowed him to do. God has put limits on the enemy. It's better seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, where the scripture says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful that will not let you be tempted above your what? Ability. He's limited. 
He's limited. He has limitations. And then number 10, in closing, he is a defeated enemy. Amen. Thank you. Yes. And this is what we sang about in the, in the beginning. What we're going to sing as we, as we deal with this message, as we go to the Lord, as we allow him to process this truth in our hearts, that we are fighting to win, church. We're on the winning side. This is not a downer message. This is an upper. This is an exciting truth. He is defeated. How do we know that? We know it for a lot of reasons. We know he's going to lose. We just need to live with that idea and understand that he is a defeated foe. Look at first John, or rather, look on the screen at first John 3 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Amen? That's where he won the battle for us, was on the cross when he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Luke 10, 18. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan fall. Matthew 25, 41. Then he said to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then my favorite. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be, not might be, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We will win, church. We will win. And this is a foundational message. A foundational message to help all of us in this building and in the previous service to be aware of the enemy. To know our enemy so we can fight our battle with a greater understanding that we can't do this on our own. It is only in the strength of God. That's next week's message or two weeks from now, Lord's Supper next week. When we begin to discuss the fact that we're in a battle and this is a spiritual battle. But God encourages and admonishes us to put on the whole armor of God. Amen that we can stand against the enemy because we win. We're going to take this battle to the streets, church. We're not going to let Satan steal the the seed of the word of God in our hearts. And may we be ever so mindful of our enemy and careful to give him at least the credit of working hard, but leaning into God to live the victorious Christian life. You know, I'm... I'm I'm so bothered by so much of the pain and suffering that goes on in the Christian world because of Satan getting a foothold. And this was a rough week for me, I'll be honest. And I got some really bad news this week about friends. Friends of mine who, man, I'm just hurting for them because I, I know Satan got an opportunity. He got an opportunity. Can I say this, church? Be so careful as you work out in the world. Men, be careful. Be careful about the girl that winks and flirts. Ladies, be careful about the guy that makes you feel good at work. Don't give him opportunity. May we be careful not to put, prioritize things above our children. Be careful, men, not to get swept away with monetary gain 
sacrifice time with your kids. Be careful. Be careful next Sunday when you wake up and you got a little cold and maybe you're just a little tired. Be careful not to press the snooze button and sleep through church and prepare for the Super Bowl. That doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We've got to fight our battle. We're surrounded by a great host of angels. The blood of Jesus Christ, amen? That not only cleanses us from all sin, but empowers us to live the victorious Christian life. So I challenge you today, whatever it is that God is dealing with your heart about as you come to the altar, and pray about that. Pray about what God would have you to do as you prepare your heart for this message, this series. And then also, if you're here today and you you would say, Pastor, I'm still kind of back where you were talking about the wheat and the tares. So if I'm not a Christian, I'm, I'm... I'm not weed. Am I, am I then? Yes. Yes. You would be the tail. You would be the weed. But you know what? You can change that this morning. Today, you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. Open your eyes to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Say yes to Christ and his sacrifice of sin to pay for your sin debt on the cross. You can become a Christian today. Isn't that great? You can today claim the victory. Next Sunday, follow the Lord and believe His baptism. Enjoy the Lord's Supper and understand what it means. Today, you can make that decision. So if you're here today, you've never been saved. I challenge you in just a moment. If God is leading you to come down at the altar and, and speak to me or one of our elders, maybe after the service, if you'd like to take just a moment, I'd love to spend some time. I really would love to make myself available to anyone interested in Jesus Christ and what He has to offer you today. So we're going to pray and ask God to work and move, and then we're going to find out how we can fight our battles. Father, I love you. I thank you for today and what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a greater understanding of the strength that we have in Christ Jesus, that we don't fight our battles against flesh and blood. God, we're not fighting our battles against flesh or in the flesh. Father, we recognize we have an enemy. He's real. He's powerful. But he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. We have an all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords. God, he's interceding for us even now. And I pray that we would claim the victory. That we would understand as we enter into this series that we're fighting to win. (laughs) And we've been given that victory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For the word of God. May we keep it close to our hearts, on the tip of our tongue. God, may we spend more time on our knees this week, fighting the battle with the help and strength of God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?